It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon, and I am doing a kind of spontaneous show. When I got up this morning, I didn't <clears throat> think I would do one. Um, but I was sitting around this afternoon feeling kind of glum, uh, more than glum. Uh, anxious and depressed is a better word, given the fact that it's now about two weeks, and I'm, my wife and I are afraid to leave the house. Uh, we finally uh, got uh, a supermarket to uh, be able to deliver some food to us. Uh, we've had enough to eat, but there are things that we wanted. Um, and we finally got a delivery today. But this is going to stretch on for a very long time. And um not want to talk about it, but uh, someday I will on the whole psychology, uh, as I understand it, of this uh, terrible epidemic this pandemic that uh, is going to kill a lot of people, uh, damage our economy and a lot of other economies around the world. Um, but what I wanted to talk about then today uh, was a book I've written, and I've talked about it before. It's called uh, Stories About Psychotherapy. Uh, and Psychotherapy and the Stories We Live By. And uh, I have written other books earlier on a same theme. In fact, I've been writing them for about uh, 20 years now. And all these past books were really uh, aimed at professionals. And I don't think professionals are going to read my book. Even people I like and know. We're going to say nice things about it. Um, but they're not going to really read it or take it seriously. Because to do so, take my book seriously, means that the way in which the uh, field of psychotherapy is conducted uh, has to stop. It will stop if you take this book seriously. Uh, I have a colleague. Uh, I've never met him, but I consider him a friend. Uh, I belong to an organization called the International Society for Ethical Psychi Psychology and Psychiatry. He's the executive director, a uh, good person, very bright man. And he's written a book called Smoke and Mirrors. Uh, and I discussed the book a couple of months ago with him on one of my shows. And now I have a, uh, a pre-copy of it, preview copy. Uh, and when the final copy comes out, hopefully he thinks at the end of this month, uh, I'll reread it and write a long review, and hopefully he'll come on and we can do another show about it. My book demolishes what's called the medical model of psychiatry, which is uh, looking at people who are unhappy, confused, who uh, make up stories that nobody believes and thinks are strange, uh, people who hallucinate and 
say that they hear God's voice. Uh, all of these people who are so sad and depressed that they can't get out of bed in the morning, uh, people who want to or even try to commit suicide, all of these unwanted, troubled, and troubling behaviors have been put into the pot, stirred and come up as described as mental illnesses and disorders. That is, there's something wrong with the person for thinking the way they do, feeling the way they do, or acting the way they do, or all three. The medical model um, has led to diagnostic terms that describe the behaviors. Um, and since they are medical sounding names, more and more in the last 20 years, and people who've been following my show know about this, uh, that people are convinced that these mental illnesses are really no different than physical illnesses. And the treatment for them uh, has increasingly become uh, drugs, drugs that are called medicines that will make people uh, less crazy in what they say, uh, more peppy and get out of bed in the morning. Um, and I'm not going to get into whether or not these drugs really work. Uh, what I will discuss is whether or not they're really medicines. The fact of the matter is that uh, a behavior Something a person does, no matter how strange or troubled or troubling, no matter what emotion they're coping with, no matter what situation they're involved with and behaving as society would not want them to or their family would not want them to or they themselves wouldn't want to but don't know another way to go and can't understand their own behavior, that these behaviors cannot in them, them themselves be illnesses. They're behaviors. They're things that people do and think and feel. And all of that has to be described with verbs. Judgments of behavior, therefore, have to be moral in nature or ethical in nature. They're not medical. The belief that the brain is somehow disabled with these individuals has led to all kinds of discussions about whether or not um, they're really like uh, uh, medical illnesses and that uh, there is no real evidence to support it. But my book really stops short uh, of going into detail and demolishing the arguments that somehow there's a biological underpinning to being too depressed to get out of bed or wanting to kill yourself or, or hearing the voice of God tell you uh, that, uh, you know, uh, you should jump off the roof or that uh, you should go kill your neighbor. Um, all of these uh, uh, things are irrelevant from the original point I just made. And that is, if in fact they are caused by a biological problem, then they're medical illnesses. They're not mental illnesses. And when I look and I write about in my book the cases I've worked with over the years, almost all of the people who really have these diagnoses, including um, major depressive disorder uh, and, and schizophrenia and, and severe anxiety, uh, all of these behaviors can looked at and, and emotional states can be looked at from a psychological point of view 
and be shown that they're meaningful, they're motivated, and that the concept that they're mental illnesses is a moral judgment, because all you can do is morally judge a behavior if you think it's not, shouldn't be, um, or, or it shouldn't be expressed, uh, or it's dangerous. Um, and so the whole book of, of bad names, and when I came into the field, there were only about 25 uh, uh, labels, and now they're over 500. I mean, and they invent them. Uh, they're not discovered, they're invented. There's a, a group of psychiatrists working as part of the American Psychiatric Association, and they sit around and they invent these diagnostic terms. Uh, and then the public is told that these are real illnesses in some level, and the best treatment for them is are drugs. But the fact of the matter is, if they're not real illnesses and they're motivated behaviors, they're meaningful behaviors, they're not illnesses. They're judgments of illness by the individual themselves, by society, by the doctor who makes the diagnosis. And they, they have no basis in being seen as part of medicine. And in my book, what I do is really, and I didn't realize until I had finished it, is create a model of what I think happens when I do psychotherapy with somebody whom I call a patient, um, and it has nothing to do with medicine. I'm not a medically trained doctor. And interestingly, 94 and 95% of all the people who are so-called treating these individuals are not doctors. They're PhDs or they're uh, MSWs, clinical social workers, or sometimes trained uh, nurses, uh, or counselors of one type or another, school psychologists. They don't have any training in medicine. And almost all of them talk to the individual, talk to the patient. And sometimes they dress it up with, with other kinds of, of fancy things, uh, you know, techniques. But ultimately, what I believe is that it's the relationship between two human beings who helps one person, the professional, understand something or see something uh, that they couldn't see before, ideas they were trapped in or ways of handling emotions differently than they were handling it. There's a wide range of things that can happen in this relationship that very often really helps. But... Uh, okay. Um, when... when, when I, I look at what I've written, and when I look at what my colleague, uh, Dr. Ruby, has written, uh, he blows up the entire uh, field. I blow up the entire field. There are many other books I could uh, uh, talk about that blow up the field and say that what we're doing is not a real treatment of a real patient that, through historical reasons, uh, we were brought into the field of psychiatry, uh, particularly at the end of World War II, when too many people came back from war, too many soldiers came back from war, um, suffering, I think it was then, war neurosis or shell shock. Uh, now it's called post-traumatic stress disorder. And these individuals had been changed and transformed by their experiences and really couldn't find a way of, in the many cases, fitting into society. Uh, people wanted them to be called heroes. And from one 
particular point of view, they are. They went and did their duty. But they don't come back the same. You don't kill people. You don't watch your friends get blown up. You don't do things in war uh, that are anything like the things you do in peacetime. And so it, it transforms people. But then now uh, they couldn't be treated. They couldn't be handled because the psychiatrists were just not enough. So uh, psychologists and then later social workers all began to clamor and take a piece of the pie and began to treat people they called patients. Now, my book, and this is about the fourth or fifth one I've written this way, um, puts psychotherapy and the therapy in quotes. And I put patient in quotes. And I put treatment and symptoms in quotes. Because I don't believe these terms are appropriate or relevant for what, what's going on. Um, one of the things I'm up against and, and one of the goals of my book, and I have a number of goals of this book. One, uh, this is, uh, I'll, I'll be 80 years old uh, in, in, the, in June. Uh, it's really the last thread I have to my profession, uh, which goes back now over 50 years. Uh, if I can talk about uh, uh, when I started graduate school, uh, graduated college, it's 60 years, a long time. Uh, it's been my life, and it's my life no more. Except for this, uh, I couldn't get this book published. My previous books I could with legitimate publishers, but so I self-published it through a very nice company called Book Baby. Um, and and uh, if I recoup the cost, I'm already working on a, a revision of it. There are things that I'd like to expand in the book and ideas I'd like to uh, embellish and make the book a little longer. Uh, but I didn't write this at all for the press professionals. The professionals, even those who like my book, won't read it. Uh, or they'll read it and dismiss it. Those who like me will say nice things about it. They'll write a nice review on Amazon. But they won't take it to heart. And I'll explain in a moment what taken to heart really means. The, the hero of my book, one of the heroes of my book, is a man named Thomas Zass, who wrote a book called The Myth of Mental Illness. came out in the mid-70s. Um, most professionals know of the book, and many professionals have read the book, but far more have not read the book. As I say, they treat it as, as a kind of a, a, a toxic waste dump. You know it's there, but you stay away from it because it's dangerous to you. If you take Zas seriously, then he makes the case that these moral judgments of behavior, of unwanted, troubling, and troubled behaviors, uh, it's not that they're not problems. For some people, they are life and death problems. For families who have to live with an individual who behaves or thinks this way, it can be a problem. So it's not that it's not a problem, but it's not a medical problem. And the language that's used Medical language, I believe that Dr. Ruby believes, uh, and those of us who follow Zas's argument, he believed with the inappropriate language. Our field, as a psychologist, I'm called a clinical psychologist. I put clinical in quotes. Really clinical about what I do. Um, it's not medical what I do. I, and anyway, the, the whole thrust of this then becomes what effect do I want to see this book have? Well, I'd like people to read it. 
I'd like to recoup the money that I put into it, although if I don't, I don't. Uh, it didn't cost me anything to the degree that it bothers me. Fortunately, um, I can live comfortably whether I spent it on this book or not. Uh, uh, I'd like to uh, have more of a name in the field because I have very little name now. Uh, I don't teach anymore. I don't see clients anymore, patients anymore. Or I'll talk in a moment, whatever you want to call them. But I realize I'd like to see the medical model die. I'd like to see it gone. And that's something I will write about in the revision that I can't write about in this book, but I can talk about. <clears throat> if these problems aren't medical in nature, they're psychological and they're social, then there should be a language <clears throat> to describe it and a language to say what's really going on. In my book, uh, I, I write my book as a, a, a professional autobiography. And what, I emer what emerged in my career, uh, partly by accident and partly by choice, is that for uh, over 40 years, uh, well over 40 years, I was a professor teaching college students, most of the time uh, as a uh, professor in a community college, Kingsborough Community College, part of the City University of New York, although I taught in other schools as well, including St. John's University, Adelphi University. And I started my career for three years at a little place called in Manhattan called the New York College of Music. And that had that school not closed, I would have stayed there. I loved it there. It was on 85th Street between Lexington and Park Avenue, <coughs> which was a wonderful location. My plan was that I would teach there and get a psychoanalytic degree, open up an office, and have a career that way. But it didn't work out that way. But I still taught. <coughs> Excuse me. And what I finally understood uh, is that what I was doing that was called psychotherapy, in quotes, that's why it's in quotes, had nothing to do with medicine, but it was a type of education. And then I realized that education, therefore, is a kind of therapy. They're the same thing in a different venue, using different language. But what I was trying to do with my students was the same as that I was trying to do with those people who came to me as patients. Help them understand the world in and around them, be able to uh, develop insights into how to live a life which I believe is best lived in a democracy and in, in making the world a democratic place for yourself uh, in which you are uh, no more or less than any other human being uh, and that you're responsible for your behavior, but at the same time, you're responsible to make the world a safer, better place where everybody has a chance to develop their potential to be two things at the same time. One, a part of society, a part of a family, a part of loving relationships, and at the same time, an individual, a separate, creative individual. And my book, I go into a lot of, of the, the struggle of trying to balance out being an individual and at the same time committed to the needs and the welfare of other people who are 
struggling with exactly the same thing. And I won't go into it. I hope anybody who wants to read this will understand it. Uh, I differentiate between authoritarian politics, because we're all pol- politicians, in that we all enter into conflicts with others, other people and ourselves. And in a democratic politic, political system, you negotiate differences. In an authoritarian, you smack the other person down and say, you're less than me and I rule. And I won't go into that, but I really believe that makes a tremendous difference <clears throat> in how we end up seeing the world and how we end up relating to ourselves and others. Um, and I won't go into the technique, but it's, I see it as a type of education. And I have no words for it. My words are psychotherapy in quotes, patient in quotes, symptoms. In, well, I don't use the word symptom anymore. Uh, their adaptive behaviors, best a person can do with their life, given their genetic history, their biological history, their family history, their economic history, their social history, their political history. All of these things conspire to make a set of actions <clears throat> in the view of the individual acting out, acting them out, what they think they need to do to stay alive and satisfy their needs to be an individual and a part of the whole. And I have no words for it. Um, Some people, and I know, they'll use the word client. Well, to me, a client is somebody who sees an attorney. And while it's less onerous, I'm not the attorney. I could teach a student, but as a teacher, I graded my students. And in my book, I go through all of my my contortions and and my anxiety about giving grades of reducing a relationship with, with 20, 30 kids at a time to letter grades and expecting all of them to start and stop in the same 15 weeks or 30 week period and knowing the same thing. Uh, I, I talk about these complications. Right? Um, <clears throat> I talk about my desire not to be a gatekeeper and flunk people uh, and have all the power over them in my hands, which changes my relationship with them and makes me something other than the person I would like to be to help them grow and learn and become something that they want to and at the same time is responsible to others and the society they live in. So I don't have the words for it. And I've asked many colleagues uh, what their words are. And they, they, they can't come up with it either. It's, it's so unique, this relationship, where somebody comes to you and pays you money uh, and and you give them time and sometimes work with somebody for two years, three years, longer. Um, you become involved with each other. <clears throat> and, and you have to negotiate through this relationship. And at the end of it, they have to know something or do something and have skills they didn't have beforehand. Right? An understanding for me. And a lot of my own training was psychoanalytic. I could call myself a psychoanalyst and the patient or the so-called patient an analysan, the analyst and the analysan, that was the word, Uh, um, because it's not medical necessarily. 
It's really a, a kind of educational relationship. But I left psychoanalysis years and years ago because the people within it um, were cultish. You were a Freudian or you followed Karen Horney or Harry Stack Sullivan or Alfred Adler, uh, 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 and they yelled at each other and, and – uh, you had to be loyal to the to the to the group to the field. It was so. I, I don't use those words. Although, if they didn't carry all of that freight, and they didn't partition themselves off from the rest of psychology, uh, behavior therapy, and EMDR, and now proliferation of dozens and dozens of therapies, which, by the way, all do the same thing, if in fact they're democratic. If, in fact, the individual forms a relationship that's meaningful and they learn something about themselves and the world and their relationships that they could use to change the behavior and the ideas that make, end up making themselves miserable and others miserable to something more positive, more happy, more creative, more moral. Not that morality doesn't play a role here. It does, very important role. <clears throat> but that's not my job. The job of a teacher is not to make my students uh, uh, what I think they should be morally, um, but create the psychological conditions where they uh, and my so-called patients see that by being a moral being to other moral human beings, you end up making yourself happier. It's very hard to make others unhappy and not be unhappy yourself. Okay? So my focus is on the understanding of the relationship, of how the individual analyzes the world. Do they constantly make judgments or are they able to describe? Can they be a, a psychologist of themselves or merely a judge? Do they judge others or try to understand others? And I go through all of this in the book, and I think it's very clear. I got some very nice reviews. But I've decided I'd like to be able to talk to other psychologists and convince them to get on board and stop diagnosing patients or people they call patients and work to, towards another language. And here's the problem. Because it is given in medical terms, people sign insurance forms. And once you sign the insurance form, it requires a bona fide, a psychiatrically approved diagnosis. And then no matter what else happens, it becomes in a way secondary to the diagnosis. And the diagnosis follows an individual for the rest of their lives. It really does, particularly if it's a serious one that says they were psychotic, I mean crazy, schizophrenic, uh, made a suicide attempt. Once that becomes a public record, it'll follow you. Uh, you'll fill out an application 30 years into your career, and it'll ask a question, have you ever been diagnosed with a serious mental disorder? And it's against the law to lie. Or certainly if you lie and they find out about it, you'll be out and you'll be of the job, you'll be blackballed. So it follows you. It also tells you in a weird way, whatever you're doing is not your responsibility. It's the result of a sickness. It's a symptom. It's a symptom. 
You are not responsible. And therefore, especially if you accept that it's a brain problem, you're condemned. What, to take a life of brain-disabling drugs? Because these drugs are not medicines. They can't be medicines because they're not treating a real illness. And how they work, I won't get into. Uh, it's not my expertise. But they work by disabling the normal brain function. Tonight, I won't have a alcohol. I won't have a glass or two of wine. And I'm very sad about it. I'm depressed about it because I really look forward to my glasses of wine. My stomach now is bothering me uh, between the anxiety and, and the diet I have to eat now and a lot of other things. I'm not going to drink for a couple of days. And I look forward to it. But that it makes me feel better when I have these, this, these couple of glasses of wine. Don't be later, which I don't like, but makes me feel better. I look forward to it. doesn't mean they're medicines. I'm not medicating myself. I'm drugging myself. And alcohol is probably the most effective anti-anxiety drug that we've ever discovered. It works fast. It doesn't go into your bloodstream. It goes directly through your stomach wall, right to the brain. works almost instantly. So I want professionals to stop diagnosing. And to do that, the field, a lot of us would have to get together. And I don't do, not me anymore, because, I've, again, I don't, do this anymore. I won't do this anymore for a variety of reasons. In fact, this year, at the end of May, uh, my license will get suspended. I've already given up my uh, my malpractice insurance, so I wouldn't see anybody uh, un under these circumstances. Um, but I'd like people who are listening to this broadcast, read my book. Uh, when Chuck Ruby, Ruby's book, Smoke and Mirrors, come out, read his book. Read a lot of the stuff that's out that's critical of what's called the medical model and the diagnostic, uh, uh, diagnostic classification system, the DSM, uh, and, and all of the constant propaganda bombarding them on television about these wonder drugs. I was watching an ad today that if your normal antidepressant doesn't work, well, in a second. Right? And then you'll be told it's not that the drug failed to help you because a lot of these drugs make things worse, not better, but you have treatment-resistant depression. Right? So you see, you're at fault. It's your problem. It's your issue. You, know, you can't be treated by the standard treatment. So you need now two drugs to addle your brain and do its misery. While you, you, you don't feel the depression as much, perhaps, you don't feel anything. That's another issue. So I would like anybody who reads my book, and I would like everybody to read my book, uh, you can get it at Amazon.com, or uh, if you could look on, on the description of my book, there's a URL there, store, bookbaby.com slash book, slash psychotherapy, and the stories we live by, each with a, a dash between it. Uh, but you can go to storebookbaby.com and look up Lawrence Simon, and the book will come up, and you can buy it. But I'd like you, then, to walk into a therapist's office or somebody you'd need help from and say, I want to work out a financial arrangement with you. I don't want to be diagnosed. And you will find people who will be happy and grateful to do that. But you will also have therapists who are true believers and will say, what's wrong with you? 
What's the matter with you? And start thinking up a diagnosis for why you don't want to be diagnosed. Uh, I have been attacked vigorously by colleagues I had worked with for years and years and years when they found out that I was teaching uh, uh, from Thomas Zoss's point of view that mental illness is a myth and that really what we're doing is kind of teaching something and that people are doing the best they can and that's what uh, unacceptable and troubled and troubled behaviors really actually are people doing the best they can what they think is going to solve their emotional problems and their social problems but simply makes it worse Um, and I was told uh, students were told not to take me as a teacher that I was crazy Uh, and the truth was I was close enough to my retirement that I simply gave it up that was the end of it I, I didn't want to do that anymore so those of you who hear me get my book when Ruby's book comes out, you can buy his book. There's a lot of other books. You could read Thomas Zoss's classical, The Myth of Mental Illness. Uh, uh, it was translated, the last I heard, into 25 languages and sold millions and millions of copies. Um, but he doesn't go far enough. Uh, he, he leaves it. He demolishes the idea of real mental illnesses. But he doesn't do what uh, Ruby does and what I do, I've done in my book, which is to create a model of what it is, other than saying it's problems in living. He really leaves it as problems in living. Uh, So I'm going to end my show now. I said what I wanted to say. Um, So you could look on on the description of this uh, show today, stories about psychotherapy and psychotherapy in quotes, no more diagnoses. Uh, You can order the book or just listen to some of my other shows. They're all archived, and I keep saying the same thing in many ways over and over again. And then if you need help, there are wonderful professionals out there. And in many ways, it doesn't matter whether it's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a social worker, as long as they're willing to treat you like an equal. Not that you know what they know, but as a human being, you're not more, you're not less. And that they're not going to tell you you're not responsible for your behavior because you're sick, but at the same time, you don't have the same rights and privileges as other people. And then if you get out of line, they can call the police and have you taken to a mental hospital, which is really not a hospital. If you're taken there against your will and locked up against your will and treated against your will, it's a prison that condones torture. Because anybody who you try to change their mind by punishing them, by by drugging them or or putting electricity in their brain and zapping them, uh, I define as torture. In fact, that's almost the standard definition of torture. So I hope all of you who hear this are uh, coping with this terrible plague uh, and that your suffering is not major. Because I don't know anybody at this point who really isn't suffering uh, uh, the, the social isolation, which is so much against our basic human nature. Uh, I, I had an anxiety attack. I went and bought some veggies earlier this week because I, I like a salad for my lunch. And uh, I thought I got a little too close to the young woman who I paid. And I said, oh, my God, does she have it? And Oh, it's just, just a, an awful, awful thing to have this kind of invisible 
uh, enemy that, that can mess you up. So I wish all of you well and health and happiness. I hope you'll read my book. And I hope you will sit down, if you already have a therapist, and renegotiate the relationship. You don't want to be told you are sick because you're unhappy or because you say things that society uh, doesn't believe is true. Um, uh, you know, one of the things I do talk about all the time is that uh, there are, if a lot of people believe as you believe, it's called a belief. It's not called sickness. You make up your own religion, you're crazy. You believe the crazy things in anybody else's religion, and a million or a billion people believe it, you're just religious. Uh, but a lot of the stories that crazy people tell are no different than the stories that sane people tell, and they would be crazy too if they were the only one telling that story. All of this is in my book. I thank you for listening, for whoever listened. Nobody did sign on, but that's okay. And I'm going to go out now and prepare myself for a dull evening. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.